Hello, hello. Welcome to the Black on Black Education Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. First, I want to make sure that your families and that you are staying safe and staying healthy and social distancing and remaining in your household so that we can be as safe as possible. I'm so happy that you chose to sit down and listen to the Black on Black Education Podcast while we're all quarantined and going through this really hard time. The conversation you're about to listen to is between myself and Miss Adriana Montgomery. She is a teacher in the Boston area, working in a school that is majority black and brown and dealing with the effects of COVID-19. We have a really awesome conversation about her path to education and how it was super nonlinear and how now she's had to switch and turn and mold just like so many of us to be an effective educator through virtual learning and this new space. So I hope you have you get something from this. I hope you learn something from this and I hope you guys enjoy the conversation that I had the privilege of having. Um, see you guys next time. Like, comment, share. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Today, I'm here um, with an amazing educator in Boston. Yes, ma'am, Boston. And we are going to have a really awesome conversation about education, about what's going on right now with the coronavirus and how it's affecting Mm -hmm. education. Um, And so I'm going to give you the chance to introduce yourself to our listeners. So hello, everyone. My name is Adriana. I am um, a Boston resident. I currently teach 7th and 8th grade math mathematics to students in the Boston area. Um, I've been teaching for about four years. I always say about because like my teaching line has been like a little bit odd. Mm -hmm. I taught preschool. I taught seventh grade special education. So sometimes I should be knowing the the amount of years that I've been teaching, but Mm -hmm. sometimes I don't. (laughs) So I'm just going to go with four years. (laughs) So yeah. Amazing. Um, And so just to kind of start out and get 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 to know a little bit more about you, why teaching? Why become an educator? Mm-hmm. I think it's like one of those things to where teaching actually found me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that I actually, I did not go to school to set out to be like, oh yeah, I want to be a teacher. I never set out to do that. Um, teaching definitely found me. Like I'm very religious, very spiritual. So I'm always praying for like a direction that God will lead me and guide me in the right direction for choosing my career. And I mean, that was my prayer when I was about to graduate from college And it just so happens that I came across a program called Teach for America. So I didn't finish Teach for America. I was in it for one year. I loved it, but it wasn't for me. And I didn't finish it, which sometimes I am upset to say that. But that's the path that God led me down. And from there, I knew that I was supposed to be teaching. It was just a lot of different things along the way that confirmed it, like different people. They would say different things to me. And I was like, okay, I can do this. It wasn't until I really got in the classroom where I was like, this this is for me. This is for me. That's awesome. So it's interesting. We've had a lot of TFA alumni on our really? Um, and I'm actually doing Teach for America next year. Nice. So that's super interesting. And I love Where's having placement? with New York City. Okay. Yeah. So I love having conversations with people who know the organization um, because we get very different, different um, experiences. Mm-hmm. People like you who didn't finish, people who did finish and then continue teaching at their placement school for a long time um, and various different alterations of that story. But yes, I have had a, a quite a few people on the podcast so far that have done Teach for America or who, who currently work for them. So that's okay. going to be really cool. Um, yeah. So we, I also connected with you through Instagram as a person who is an educator um, and who puts some of the things that they work on 
online, which I think is really awesome and amazing. And, and it's going to help guide us into our coronavirus conversation. Um, but just to stick to the beginning right now, um, looking you up online and looking through what you had on your social media, I also noticed that you had a blog. And so I wanted you to talk a little bit about what made you start that blog and how it helps you um, in your quest for self-exploration. So I started the blog, like, it's really bad because I only have two blog posts up there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, this quarantine time is enough time for me to actually, like, settle down mm-hmm. and be like, you need to write some more. But life is busy mm-hmm. sometimes, especially when teaching in grad school. But anyways, um, I started the blog because I wanted to have an outlet that really showed all, like people think, okay, she's just a teacher, or not just me in general, but teachers in general, like she's just a teacher. You have your students who just only see that view of me. So I wanted the blog to really cover all different areas of myself. So not just being like, that is who I am. That is my gift. That is what God called me to do, to be a teacher. But also, like, I'm more than that. Like, I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. Like, I just, I'm almost done with grad school. Got one more class left. So I'm a grad student. There's many different components that make up me. I'm a youth leader, like, over the kids at my church. So I wanted the blog to kind of take that direction of how teaching is the core of me, but then there's different branches that also represent me as a person. Awesome. No, that's amazing. And I think that is super important because I remember being young and seeing my teacher outside of school and being like, you don't live at school, like I don't understand. Like this feels weird to me to right. see you outside. <laughs> I'm supposed to see you. Yeah. Forget as kids that you know they're people too. They have lives too. So I think that's super important and awesome um, to show yourself to your students in that way. Yeah. Um, so in our conversation pre-recording the podcast, we talked a little bit about the demographic of students that you serve. So can you yeah. tell the listeners kind of what that is and. So my students, um, so I teach in a building, which number one, my school goes from K through 12. Um, mm. But the demographic of students are mainly African-American. You have Caribbean, um, all of, you know, Haitian, Caribbean, um, few Hispanics, um, really minority students. That, that's the demographics of, of um, the students that I serve. Okay. And... What issues or challenges or um, or or attributes do you see in in a school that is very um, homogenous? So a school that is very similar in terms of race demographic. Um, mm-hmm. What are the issues or what are the pros, and then what are also the cons um, to to teaching in a school that's like that? I think I think this what I'm about to say is probably like a twofold. Mm-hmm. thing because it's a pro but then it's also a con so like um teaching in a school where it's like everybody's you know the same coming from the same kind of background the same places I think one thing that we do kind of have in common is that most of the time we get each other like my students I can kind of say something and they're like okay like that sounds familiar at home like you know they're kind of very familiar with it but the reason why I say it's twofold is because you can't always say that um, because you get a lot of people who think who might go into the classroom and be like, oh yeah, I'm black. The kids are black. Like, you know, we're always going to understand each other and get it. But then that's not always the case. And that's how I grew up too. When I was younger, like I had a lot of teachers that, which is not okay. When I got to high school, they used to cuss in front of the class probably because they felt like we were older and stuff, but I didn't come from a household that I had that kind of language going on. Mm-hmm. So it's like, mm, no, I don't really relate with that. 
which is why I said that it is twofold because some things that I, how I may respond to certain things, that's not familiar to students. Like that's like, no, that's not where I'm coming from. Like, I don't, I don't understand you with that. But um, for the most part, like major, like I shouldn't say majority, but probably like 80%, we, we kind of on the same page about most of the stuff and like how we view society. That's probably where I should come from. Like how we view society, ourselves in society. Like we're the same on that page, on that level which is a great feeling because it's something that not everybody can relate to a student that way with that. Absolutely. Um, I think that's one of the, the biggest, one of the biggest things uh, that we try to have conversations about with black on black education is the idea that, that um, two. So for me, I had one black teacher in elementary school mm-hmm. and then one black teacher in high school. And he was the gym teacher and he wasn't my, he was only my gym teacher for like one of my four years of high school. So I didn't have that same understanding or that same, um, I can relate with any of my teachers. And it wasn't like there were any teachers in my building really for me to say, okay, even if I don't have you as my teacher, I can go to this person for these Mm -hmm. sorts of resources. That just really wasn't necessarily available where I went to school. And so I think it's important to hear about, um, that familiarity and that comfortability that teachers can can give to students when they understand who they are and where they come from. Right. Um, so, how did you go about choosing uh, seventh and eighth grade math? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I was like, hold on, wait, no, okay. That's another thing. I'm telling you, everything fell into line. And people, I don't know if people are religious or not, but I'm very religious, and I believe that God ordains all of my steps and how I'm supposed to walk, what I'm supposed to do. So I live by that. So once again, going back, I'd never even planned to be a teacher. But as you know, when you get accepted into teacher market, they give you your assignment already. They're like, this mm-hmm. is what you're going to teach. This is what you're going to do. And I remember praying. I was like, okay, God, so you told me to go into the teaching. So you need to give, like, don't give me math, but I'm going to get English. That's what I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. When I ever opened up my assignment and I saw that it said, secondary mathematics I was like oh no so me and TFA was going back and forth because I told TFA I said I am not doing this if you guys do not give me math they're like hold on wait a minute like because I had to pass the math and so I'm like this is crazy it's too much stuff I can't do I can do it for English but not for the math um so long story short I went into TFA they did make arrangements for me to switch what I wanted to do which is very rare they don't do that when people are complaining about what they have given you, um, which I also believe that was part of God's plan. So he allowed that to happen. But what happened was they switched me to English, which is what I wanted. The problem was the English positions fill up really, really fast. Like mm-hmm. oh, everybody wants English. And that's not a high need area that yeah. that teachers are, are in. It's math, that's the high need. So um, I ended up with like going to the Institute, which is like the summer thing that you're supposed to do. And I did not have a job, like, towards the end. Everybody's, like, celebrating their jobs, going right. And I'm happy for people, but they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to this school. And I'm like, okay, that's nice. When is my job coming to? I'm waiting. <laughs> Couldn't get a job yet. And then they're like, you have to find a job before, like, two weeks. If not, you're going to have to leave the program. Mm. They were helping me out. And it was like, so your option is to switch to special ed. In my head, that's a whole different avenue for me that I'm not going to get into right now because I could talk about that for days. But I was like, I am not especially like yes you should be able to teach all of your kids but you have to have that's a special teaching hat special education like 
you need to really be all up in it. And I was like, I cannot do that. But I ended up doing special education for a year and I was teaching all subjects. And I realized I hated English, but I loved the math. Mm. And I loved the math because it was very easy for me to get very quick. Like it was easy for me to teach the math because it was just boom, done. If you don't understand it, I can go back to your work and see where you messed up. Whereas English is like, you need to actually go through each thing. Uh Uh-uh, no. I was like, no, no, no. So I realized from that when I taught special education that I was like, math is my fit. Like, I love it. I love teaching it. It's just straight to the point. I could do step by step. And in that, I can also cater to my, to all my students, but really to like my students on IEPs or 504s because I can break it down like so thoroughly. I can provide them with the steps. Like I could do a video. There's so many avenues that I could have taken and that I can take now uh, to help me out with that. So from there, I was like, oh yeah, math is my fit. And then I moved on to my next job, which was teaching math. That's awesome. So the the biggest reason I asked that question is because I am just like you in the idea, or just like you were um, going to teach for America. I was like, don't put me in math. Don't do that to me Mm -hmm. because I'm not, I'm mathly challenged. I am. (laughs) And so, <laughs> but it's easy once you listen. It's it's middle school math too, so it's easy. No, no, and I was even looking at some of the stuff that you have on your page, and I was like, oh, I know, I remember how to do this. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Plug the number in. Okay, okay. <laughs> but I, I was remember. So yeah, I was. I was. It was nostalgic for me thinking, okay, maybe I can do this a little bit. But thankfully, Teach for America didn't do that to me, so we're we're fine. Oh, praise but, God. Um, I, the reason I asked that is because. It's very, I don't want to say rare, but in my experience, it's very rare to have conversations with people of color and they choose and they're choosing STEM or that STEM is choosing them and the idea that they have people recruiting them to say, oh, you need to go into the math, yeah. the sciences, into these areas. Um, and I was, I'm lucky enough, I work for a woman, I babysit for her, who she's a chemist. Um, she's a black woman and she's a chemist. And so I, thankfully her children don't feel that same idea that, that they can't do this. Um, mm-hmm. Like I wasn't good at math. So I was like, I can't do that. I can never do that. And then there was no one who was saying, let me hold your hand. You can do this. It was pass the test and then leave it alone. Mm -hmm. That was more of the, 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 the kind of energy that I was getting in terms of math. So I definitely wanted to ask you that, um, as a person of color to be like, what, and it seems like it was an accident, but an accident that was meant to happen. So that's awesome. Um, and so moving on to my next question, I kind of wanted to ask you like, your relationship with your students, your classroom experience, how does it compare to your, your colleagues who are teaching the same demographic of students, um, but in different subjects? Oh my gosh. I, that is actually a really good question because it definitely is very challenging from, and I'm not taking away from any other teacher's experience or anything, but we all know that math, as I said, is a very high need. Students struggle a lot with math. And whereas in humanities or something where you can test in that, you really need to not read and write. Mm-hmm. Like that's skills that you can constantly work on. With math, if you're missing how to add and subtract and multiply and divide fractions, once you get to seventh and eighth grade when you're working on equations, we are all screwed up. Because mm-hmm. it's like, now I got to go back like 10 steps mm-hmm. and work on that for you to be able to get this. So it's a lot of other like previous skills that they need to know to be able to tackle that main content. 
Um, so yeah, I feel like it differs because a lot of cha- a lot of people, a lot of students hate math. Like mm-hmm. they really hate it. They don't enjoy it. It's just numbers. It, like it's very frightening. It's very intimidating sometimes. And I and I can definitely attest to that because I was like that when I was younger. Like it's very difficult. You don't like you see all these numbers, especially if you're a student that has always struggled in math. You don't want anything to do with it. So I definitely it struggles with my colleagues because they're able to use a lot of supports that can help students along the way now, whereas I have to kind of work backwards. I can go 10 steps. And I have a lot of things that I like face with the kids where they're having trouble or behaviors that they may only show in my class. They might not show that in science or humanities, which I get that. I probably the most, I will say, the behaviors is like, Sometimes I love them, but sometimes the behaviors don't want to attend because nobody wants to tackle. And it's not all the time. It's not towards me, but it's just, I don't know how to do this and I don't want to do it. So it's like they lash out. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that's because even when you were saying, like, I'm saying thank you to some of my math teachers that got me through them regences and stuff, because I remember I missed a day in third grade about fractions. I know I did. And it, and I never got it back. Never. Like I was studying. It was just a day. It was a day or two where I wasn't there and I missed that lesson and it never. And so I was studying for the GRE over the summer and I, and I'm, and I was instantly reminded that I didn't know how to do fractions and that every time I saw fractions, I tensed up because I felt like I didn't have the tools to to handle handle it. So for me, it's really interesting to hear you talk about, um, the behavior aspect, because I remember not necessarily having negative behaviors toward my math class, but remember dragging my feet on my way to class when I knew yeah. I had math. And so yeah. I can see how someone who has really, really, really shut themselves off to being able to do it, um, can you can see those behaviors lashing out in your class, and then you go and talk to their 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 English teacher, and their English teacher is like, what do you mean? This is not like, I never seen math. I don't know what that's about. And I'm like, oh, okay. and like you said though it's not even so much um it doesn't have to be like a total like blowing up throwing chairs like it doesn't have to be that but Mm -hmm. you may get a lot of sassy remarks like like you said like you're dragging your feet to go to class like I get that like kids I don't want to be in here oh so I try to bring a lot of my personality into it Mm -hmm. to help it out a little bit (laughs) but um sometimes it helps sometimes it doesn't but (laughs) Listen, like, whatever works. You're exactly because you're also a teacher that's trying, and I think that there are like I've had experiences with teachers who who truly believe mm-hmm. I can whether you learn this or not. So mm-hmm. if you're not going to sit here and learn, well, then I'm not changing nothing about my lesson. Learn yeah. or don't, and that is not conducive to to getting students where they oh. need to be in terms of their education. Not at all. Um, and so, kind of shifting gears a little bit now to talk about the the impending pandemic all around us. Um, we started to talk a little bit about it in the beginning, but um, most people in the United States right now are quarantined or are being asked to stay home. Um, jobs are closed, buildings are closing. Uh, we can't go to the movies. We can't do. We can't even go to school. Nothing. So, how is that? for you as a teacher currently, how is that affecting your students or how, how, how have you seen it affecting your students? Um, 
well one part is like kind of like it's hard to get in touch with them mm. like it's i'm emailing all the time like trying i'm still trying to make sure that's like professional making sure that i'm emailing them and now what i'm finding is i've already i already was in contact with parents but now it's like it is like times 10 that I'm in contact with parents. Like every day I probably get a parent that's messaging me about something or I'm messaging them about something. So mm -hmm. that's really how it has affected. Like I'm communicating all the time more than I normally would mm -hmm. if I was teaching in the classroom. So mm -hmm. now it's like, I need to be reaching out to parents every day, seeing like what's up, what's happening. Um, so yeah, that was like the, I think that's the biggest impact is like the communication. And then obviously we're doing a lot of uh, remote learning. So kids are learning from a distance and they're learning online, which I don't think I'm a big fan of, but that is the way how I, I'm thankful for it because mm -hmm. of everything that's happening. But um, am I a fan of it? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. So what does that look like for your school? Because I know I've talked to some people who are saying that like, their school has just sent packets home or things like that. Mm -hmm. And there's other people who are actually doing Zoom calls like this for classes. Or there's some people who are using Google Classroom and students are just uploading paperwork or, or information. So Hannah, how does that look like for you and your school? Yeah, so everything that you name is everything that I probably learned, did already. Mm -hmm. So we started out with thinking, because I'm a charter school, thinking that it would be for two weeks. So we sent them home with packets. Okay. So I gave them packet, packet works for enough for two weeks. Um, and obviously they can they can communicate with me via Google Classroom or I post as you see like videos on my uh, Instagram like that can help them out with different things in the packet. After I found out that we would be you know quarantined till April twenty seventh, I was like, okay, well now it's time to move on to uh, Khan Academy. So mm -hmm. that's kind of how I've been working it out. I use Google Classroom as the main format and the outline for kids to be able to like access it. But Google Classroom, not Google Classroom, Khan Academy is a good way to like track what they've been doing. It's just a math program. Mm -hmm. And they can watch videos and answer questions and I can track their progress if they're doing it, how well they're doing with it. And then to incorporate in that, like I'll do um, something from Google Forms, like posting a question, kind of like an exit ticket to see how well they're actually doing on that practice work from Khan. So that's what we've been working with now. Um, that doesn't really launch like fully until Monday. So we'll see how that's going to take place. I did assign it for some kids that were kind of like, oh yeah, like they're ahead of the game. But um, that doesn't start until coming to full effect until Monday. So we'll see how that, how that plays out. Okay. All right. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's awesome. I, there's some, yeah, I've had conversations with a few teachers um, in different places and then also like um, things that I've seen on social media. And so I think it's just, but I also think that we need to be thanking teachers so much because this has been two weeks of you learning how to teach in a completely different way and still making sure that they can yeah. do this. So I want to make sure that I'm thanking you just from the standpoint of how hard it must be to make this shift um, in such a short amount of time. Um, but also thinking I know there's this, I'm sorry. No. I know that there's this thing, um, what is it, frontliner? You know, people that are out there. Mm -hmm. Listen, I'm I might not be out there dealing with but I'm still dealing with people's kids you, trying to make sure that they learn the and okay, so first of all, teachers have always been frontliners. That's number one. And that's the T. <laughs> that is the T because we have already been always been frontliners. 
We're doing it now. And it is very difficult to get 44 kids 40. on a Zoom call. Yeah, like, well, I have, that's actually pretty smart, too, because that's, that's the total for both 7th and 8th grade, to make sure that they're all doing the work. That yeah. is difficult. It is. So, and it's what people are dealing with at home. Like, I think the biggest thing with, with the education piece and, the, and why we need to be thanking teachers so much and supporting them in every way that we can is the fact that it is not as, it's not as if um, every child is dealing with this the same way. Some children, we don't know what their home life is like. We don't know yes. what their family yeah. life is like. We don't know what all of these different emotional parts are like. And then we don't know what school was giving them. We don't know if school was the only place they were eating. We don't know if school was the only place where they, where they were able to hang out with their friends. We don't know what that looks like for them. So for them to just be like, yep, shut in, go home. And then yep. for teachers to, are expected to continue to teach all of them in the, to the yep. same caliber. Like that's a huge, huge job. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, I commend, absolutely commend you. Um, and I'm just fingers crossed that this will be over by the time I start teaching. <laughs> it will, it, I'm speaking that it will be. <laughs> but I think that that like just an incredible job by the education all over the country. And, and as much as we know that teachers are doing amazing jobs, we also know that they're going to come back. Because, I mean, here in New York, it's looking like it's going to be September. Um, so, yeah. So, in September, when they go back to school, um, they're gonna, there's going to be a lot coming with that. And, and yeah. the education system has to shift and morph um, to be ready for that. Mm -hmm. And so, you said that you guys are just starting to get onto online. But have you seen, in terms of parents, like, lack of access to technology? Yes. Or things that we're seeing... Um, becoming a problem with this distant learning. So wait, I missed that last part because it kind of was like glitchy. What was the um, last question? Um, part you um, it was just asking you, have you seen parents expressing lack of access to technology and mm -hmm. those just different um, issues that have been coming up for students all over the country with switching from, from mm -hmm. um, obviously traditional education to distant learning? Mm-hmm. No, I, that has been also a big issue, but luckily I'm thankful that I work at a school that's able to provide students with Chromebooks to, oh, awesome. um, to be sent home. So every student has a Chromebook. Sometimes it is a dilemma in figuring out how we're going to get this technology, this device to this student. But um, I'm thankful to work at a school where each kid has a Chromebook and we can be able to send each kid a Chromebook or they can come pick it up. Or if not, we'll find a way to get that Chromebook to this student. Um, that has been a big thing where a lot, I got a lot of parents, I was like, I don't have a device, how they possible? But no, it's like, nope, we can take care of it, which is just a big plus working at the school that I'm at. It's awesome. Yeah, that is, that's great. Because um, I know that that's definitely a huge issue for a lot of public schools in, um, yeah. in New York City right now. Mm. And from what you've heard from parents or students who you've been able to communicate with, how are they adjusting or how are they dealing with kind of the shift to um, being at home so much? Oh my God. So I think the biggest thing that I've gotten is that they're home with their kids all day. And I'm like, and I've been seeing a lot of memes on social media. That's like, oh, now it's your turn. And I'm like, yeah, now it's your turn. Now you get to see them like in serious action from eight to four when I see them eight to four o'clock now you get to see them the whole time. But, um, no, I think that's just been the biggest challenges. Like, and it's the thing is we say like, it is kind of funny when people say that, but it's like, I, in a serious note, like 
people have more than that one child that I teach. Like they might have five mm-hmm. other siblings. So you have a parent that's trying to juggle all of those different kids and their learning levels, their grades, and trying to make sure that they learn or get the content, which is actually, that is very difficult. So mm-hmm. that is a big thing that I've been hearing. It's like, how am I supposed to do this? But um, Especially like yeah. when they're working at home too. And it's like, yeah, yeah. It- how does this work? So it's very overwhelming and stressful. So yes, I'm the one handing out the work and giving it, but I don't have any children to be sitting down with them. Like I don't have five age groups trying to sit down and make sure that they're learning this content. Like, I don't have that. Absolutely. And in your opinion, in this time, um, what do you think that that students and teachers need most from the powers that be? So you work at a charter school. I'm not sure how that works in terms of um, superintendent and who's above that. But the policymakers are the people who are making the decisions um, at the top, the principals and the superintendents and those folks. What are you seeing that students and teachers, you yourself, need from them that you might not be getting or that you're getting specifically, but you know other educators in other spaces aren't getting? that we need right now Mm -hmm. during this this time um it that's actually a good question it's actually kind of difficult to answer that because Mm -hmm. i think honestly i think right now i can't even think about the whole outside of the bigger picture or you know superintendent but i think i mean from on their end it would be just communication to like let Mm -hmm. us know what's happening which they have been doing um but I think more so than anything on my end, it would be like coming from me as a teacher, it's just having discipline, like making sure that I'm disciplined with everything that I know. Because at the end of the day, I'm in charge of those 44 kids with mathematics. So making sure that I know what's going out, what's happening, that's my, that's my arena. That's what I have to focus in. And then the bigger powers outside of that, just communicate and like what's happening, what's going on. Yeah. Which that is their job and they have been doing that. So no complaints here on that but other than that I think every but from what I can see like different schools and different community centers that have opened up for different resources for families food you mm-hmm. know all of that stuff technology that has been a huge help to families yeah so, yeah um, and so my next kind of my next question is kind of for you you mentioned that you don't like the online learning thing and you're not you're you're not um you don't enjoy it but do you see any benefits or opportunities for the future um with what what's going on currently uh with distant learning um i don't like distant learning because that's just i'm very like hands-on that's just me but uh, the thing is a lot of some kids might enjoy doing that mm-hmm. i think the benefit that i see though is me trying to incorporate, which this is just where society is going with technology, to incorporate a lot more of technology into mm-hmm. my classroom. Like they need it. Like this is where society is going. So that way, even like being prepared for times like this, a lot mm-hmm. of kids beforehand, when I'm sending out the packets and stuff, saying this is my email, I don't know how to write an email. And I'm like, oh, hold on, wait a minute. So it's like preparing them, even though I am a mathematics teacher, but that stuff still comes into play with everything. So incorporating that technology and allowing them to really, you know, dive in full force on that and really gearing that home. 
no, definitely. Because I think that that's something that I've always found very interesting. And I think obviously my age plays into a part of that. I'm 22 years old. So for the majority of my life, technology has been a part of my existence. And so the mm-hmm. idea of like, when I have classes and professors are like, you can't have your computer out. I'm like, right like how old are you like what's going on it just doesn't make sense to not use these these technological advancements to make my learning experience because that's what works for me um so I think that a lot of teachers are going to start to recognize how um important using technology in the classroom is um when we do get back to our traditional in-class in-person um schooling yeah and so kind of moving into your, your tips or your tricks or anything that you have up your sleeve that you're giving to your, your students' parents about how um, to best help them in homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest tip that I would give, this is a tip that I give to myself every single morning going to work, is to be patient. Like mm-hmm. that is number one especially at this time because it's like everyone's emotions and feelings are like probably on a 10 right now like especially if you have a parent that has multiple children in the house and you're working at home or you could be somebody that's actually going out to work and then you're coming back in to make sure that they're actually doing what they have to do single parent like you might not have so all of that just be patient with yourself and as well as the child, because they're going through a lot as well during this time. That And a lot of it that they can't really articulate the best way that we might want them to articulate. So being patient with them, really working with them, getting time to understand their emotions and where they're coming from with this whole thing that's happening with this virus, coronavirus. Where do they stand in that? We're making sure that you acknowledge them, which mm-hmm. is really important. That's really the first step to learn in many ways is making sure that you acknowledge the student, the child as being an individual and then moving from that. So within that, just making sure that you're patient. Yeah. Because it does get overwhelming. Yes, it does. Absolutely. I like <laughs> so. that you added, like being patient with not only the child, but being patient with yourself. Uh, we went on live with with uh, We Restore More uh, down in Atlanta, a company mm-hmm. down there that works on restorative justice practices and bringing them into schools. And we talked to them and that was one of the biggest things that we had out of that conversation was the idea that like, this is unprecedented. This is not normal. This is way outside of the scope of anything mm-hmm. we've ever seen before. So mm-hmm. we cannot, we have to be gentle with ourselves in the fact that like, you're not used to working from home or going yeah. out to work, then coming back, then having to help your kids with every aspect of their, it's not just homework now, it's yeah. every aspect of their education. And so it, it's necessary um, that we, that we, be patient with ourselves and be gentle with ourselves and be kind um and use this time to again appreciate our teachers because you send your kid there every single day and they spend more time at school than they do at home and uh your teachers have a really big job and now it's you're forced to take on that job and so we should take into perspective like how uh difficult it must be to be a teacher Mm -hmm. so again thank you And just kind of round out our conversation, I had really one last question. Um, And we kind of started to touch on it. Like, what do you wish, again, talking about the powers that be in terms of your school and and education at large, um, that policymakers and administrators knew about what needs to happen for students when they do go back to school? Oh, my gosh. There's so many things that are going to need to take place when we get back. Like, first of all, testing. State testing needs to be adjusted because 
hopefully, I mean, my, my district, we haven't uh, canceled school for the year, but I don't know where we're headed with that. But it's like, if we do, like we need to really take into consideration once we go back and because we go back in August, once we go back in August, how much content these kids are actually like, they, they can't learn new content that they haven't had a foundation to even mm. start yet. So it's like, we don't want to, we don't want to hold them accountable for that. So like, even in testing, like we need to be aware of that. Just like even the timing of the day, like everything needs to be reconstructed mm. because like, it's already a lot getting kids back from um, summer, from the summer break. When you get them back from that, it's like, okay, you, it takes about a good month to really kind of get kids settled in. Mm. So now imagine coming back and then we don't have three extra. No, mm -mm. we need to really make sure that we're <laughs> looking at the structure of the day. How is like, for as far as for my school, the structure of the day, how is everything structured for the kids? Is it just straight through academics? Do they have some kind of time in there to wind down, to like lay back, to relax for a minute, to ease their mind? Like that kind of stuff for my school needs to really be taken into consideration. And for superintendent and the testing arena, we need to really evaluate what they are being tested on. Mm. There's already a, a gap with our students anyway. So it's like, you don't want to, to put them at fault for something that wasn't for, like, you know, and that wasn't their fault. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the biggest conversation that I've been having with everybody that I've talked to so far about coronavirus and its impact is the, the scariest thing is that this exacerbates that sort of um, divide that we see in education between um, more privileged folks and less privileged folks and folks who yep don't yeah. have access so like if you're at home and your parent works at a supermarket and they're still working right now or your parent is a nurse and they're still working right now you don't have someone at home that's checking every box and taking care and making sure you have all this stuff you don't have nannies and babysitters right. and different right. um things that people in more privileged communities have access to and so it's kind of it's even down to having the technology the pieces if i'm working from home and i only have one computer in the house and i have yeah. other kids how am I going to make sure that they're getting everything that they need if school is now all online? Um, mm -hmm. So when we go back in September, we're going to see that divide starkly. And um, like you said, testing and all these different things, they have to be evaluated so that these students aren't behind so much farther than people who just, just because their parents had more money in this time. Yeah. Um, but yes, I think this conversation was super, super amazing. Yeah. It was great and fulfilling to know that there are teachers out there still grinding and working and trying to make sure that students are getting everything that they need um, during this super difficult time. But it was also great just to kind of get um, the perspective of a teacher who works with this demographic of students. So this is obviously Black on Black Education. You work with, um, you're a Black teacher who's teaching Black children. Mm -hmm. And um, so, I think this is going to be, and I, th I think this will also be, just be super helpful to a lot of parents and other teachers out there who feel like they're not doing everything that needs to be done right now. They're not perfect or they're not this to, to understand that there are other people with them working through the process. So if there's mm -hmm. anything else that you want to share with our listeners before we close out, and then if there's anything that you want to ask of Black on Black Education, we, we usually end out all of our podcast episodes with the opportunity for um, you to share with folks anything that you want to share with folks. Um, no, I think the media probably covers everything. Wash your hands and always say thoroughly. 
<laughs> seconds, please. Sing the outfit song. Wash your hands thoroughly. But no, I think we said we covered everything. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And listeners, we will hear from you again soon. Have a great one. And like she said, wash yeah. your hands and stay inside. Thoroughly. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>